Hey, this is Pete Bauer from the Pete Bauer blog. Thank you for joining me today. Again, my daughter Dorothea Bauer is joining me. Um, she has been instrumental in the creation of the Gabby Wells novel that we are going to be releasing soon. I wanted to talk today a little bit about the strategy that we've chosen for publishing. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can publish. And actually, today, in today's world, there's more ways that you can publish than probably at any time in history. The obvious you know, traditional method is to go through a traditional publisher and to go that route and have it hopefully published and available in paperback or hardcover in Barnes and Noble and all these other brick and mortar stores. And, and also you make in, no money. And also in ebook <laughs> stores. Well, you make some money, at least the, the people that do. And then there's options of going through a small press publisher. And then there's the options of self-publishing. So we'll talk a little bit about each of those. And, and there's so much information available now. It's just a, a tremendous time to find people who can guide you in every single one of those areas. But we'll talk about kind of those briefly and some of the decision points that we made to go down the route that we did for our novel and our future books. So the first option, obviously, is traditional publishing. And the good thing about it is that they're going to give you a very high quality product to either hold in your hand or read on a phone or a Kindle or e-reader. And I don't take any of those things lightly in the sense that what you're getting from them are some of the best editors, some of the best book cover designers. There's a real science to putting together a book that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate. They just kind of take it for granted. Well, I remember one of my favorite moments of this whole process was explaining to you that books have a smell. Because you didn't believe me, but I've been reading novels my whole life. So I said, just smell this book. And so we went through this whole bookshelf of different books, sniffing and just evaluating everything about them. And we learned that there really was a very big difference between books that were printed by laser printers and books that were actually printed. And, and they do the ones, they, they're easy to hold. They're nice. They're like a cream color. They have a smell. And it just makes you feel loved and happy and special and just wonderful. Wow. Coming from a book lover, <laughs> that is a surprising reaction. I was surprised at the science of putting together a book. Self-publishing usually is print-on-demand technology. So, And as most of you know, print-on-demand means that it is printed when there's a demand for the book. So as people order one, it is printed, as opposed to offset printing, which usually requires like a thousand books to make offset printing viable financially. And then you're stuck with a thousand books waiting for the demand to occur. But the technology prior with offset printing was superior to on-demand printing. But that's changed recently. And on-demand printing, I think because of the volume of of self-publishers, especially on Amazon site specifically, but also places like Kobo and Barnes and Noble. I think that because there's so much more volume of on-demand printing that the quality of what's available to be printed on demand is better. But prior, you know, when we were looking at all these books, so we would look at one that was printed on demand. We'd look at one that was printed offset printing. And you could definitely tell the difference. The print on demand ones had they were heavier because the paper stock was heavier. They were white pages as opposed to cream color. And what was interesting, too, is the spacing between the lines. There was no spacing. It was single space return. And in most novels um, that are offset, it's like 1.2 to 1.5 space in between. And it just makes it such an easier reading experience for your eyes. You're not reading a research paper or some sort of school report. You're reading a book for entertainment. 
That was really interesting. And plus, as you mentioned, the weight of the book. I mean, when we held these books in our hands, it didn't matter how big the book was. The traditional publishers had created a way to make this massive book weigh the correct way in your hand. It didn't overly fatigue your hands because of the paperweight and the stock weight and all that other stuff. Where print-on-demand books, most of them were much heavier and printed smaller, tighter print, white paper, which was harder on the eyes, and they're usually six by nine, which is much more floppy open and the weight distribution on your hands was not as comfortable. And when you are reading those kinds of books, it really does make for an incredibly uncomfortable reading experience when the book is a little wider than it should be, or when the words are crammed together a little bit too much, or when it's bright and then there's a lot of eye strain, or when it smells like ink. That also interferes with the Yeah, it was, it was weird. It, smelled, it had that um, chemical smell of a laser printer, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to that warm, wonderful smell that you mentioned. Love. Yeah, It's love. <laughs> it's love. <laughs> And another thing we also noticed in just studying something I mentioned in the last podcast, because I'm a huge fan of it, is Harry Potter. And I've quite literally read the first book so many times that I picked it up to read it again and quoted about the first two pages just from memory. And then I closed the book and decided I was probably done. But one thing I learned from that, just when people are flipping through your books, it's incredibly important that you kind of catch them right away. Otherwise, they're not going to buy the book. And it really brought to my attention how important formatting is, because... One of the last lines, actually the last line on the first page, which I can tell you because I have it memorized. It's quite quite sad for me. Um, (laughs) um, The last line on the first page of the first chapter of Harry Potter is, the Dursleys had a secret and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. So right right there you have a cliffhanger that makes you want to buy the book. You literally find out what that secret is the next page. It's the Dursleys couldn't bear to think. The Dursleys couldn't bear to think if anyone found out about the Potter. So it's the next sentence, the very next sentence, you found out what the secret is. But because of the way the page was formatted, it was a cliffhanger and you had to buy the book too because you wanted to know the whole story. And that just brought to my attention how brilliant these formatters are because if they hadn't had an illustration at the top of the page, at the chapter heading, if they had picked a different font, it wouldn't have been the same formatting and you know it may not have had that same appeal. So you really study these books that have been successful and there's a very important science to it that's just wonderful to learn. It's really impressive. Yeah, and that's what you get with traditional publishing. Their focus is still primarily on print, but you get a lot of expertise with that. The cost of that expertise can vary depending on the contract and who you are and the publisher, but it generally revolves around giving up a majority of the royalties. Usually, I've read getting between 10 and 15%. It also, you give up a lot of the rights for either indefinite amount of time or for a set period of time, which could be seven years, 10 years, depends on your a contract that you eventually sign. But the default is that they get the rights forever. But what are you getting for that? You're getting the top of the line people in the industry that will put your book together. The downside of that is you'd lose control of your book. You don't get to decide what the book cover looks like. You don't get to decide when it's released, you know, because a, a publisher has a very limited schedule. They have so much money and they have to put together how many books they're going to make for this author. So they can't release a thousand books a year because they only have so much money and so many days in the schedule that they can release a book and properly promote it. So you could get a manuscript if it's accepted. And if it's edited well and and ready for publishing, it could not be published for a year or two. And if it's a book in a series, they may not decide to release any book after that if they don't want to. And depending on the contract, you may never get that right back to that first book. 
So there's a lot of challenges that authors must face when going through traditional publishing. It's not a bad thing. You have to weigh the pros and cons. And for some people, they don't mind only having one book published every two to three years. And they don't mind because they want to see it in Barnes & Noble. They want to have book signings. They want to say that they're officially published by a traditional publisher. And all those things are good things. But if you're someone who wants a little more control or flexibility in pricing, then you're going to gear yourself towards self-publishing. So one of the lessons that we learned as well in our film endeavors previously was that because we have such a unique story, we have such a unique voice and such a unique target demographic, it was going to be really hard for traditional publishers who didn't appreciate that demographic to sell our book. It was something that we had experienced in some of our previous projects where the company that we went with didn't know how to advertise, didn't know who to sell to, and unfortunately nothing really came of it. It wasn't very successful. And I honestly believe that if we had taken charge of it, we would have been a little bit more successful, not because we're more talented than the people who work there, but merely because we understood our story and who it was intended for. So with that respect, our stories are very specific and something that we had discovered in our research was that not a lot of stories like this were being sold. And that was one of our concerns when we were thinking about trying to find a traditional publisher was that if these stories aren't being sold now, they may not know what to do with my story when I try to sell it later, when I know who this is for and I know who I'm writing it for. So that's another thing to take into consideration is the type of story that you're writing and whether or not a traditional publisher is going to be able to reach that. That's the really beautiful thing about technology nowadays is that if you know who you're trying to reach, it's so incredibly easy to reach out to people. You just have to know who that is and when to reach out to them. Yeah. And it's not that we, when we say that there are not a lot of work like ours being published, it's not because I think there isn't a market for it. That could be one reason, right? Well, no one publishes these books because no one wants them. We'll find out. We'll certainly find out. <laughs> but I think it's more that no one has approached the material like we have. And, and that's what you want from a any sort of distributor of your work in um, publishing, it's obviously the publisher. The reason you are sacrificing control and money and royalties and, and ownership is because they have a proven way to get to the target demographic that you can't reach, right? That you don't want to reinvent the wheel if they already have a very well-honed wheel and you don't mind sacrificing money and, and control because they are so good at getting it to the target demographic. That's a very good decision if that's what you're looking for. But we knew from the type of story we were telling that there weren't a lot of options in the traditional publishing realm. I mean, our character is Catholic. Our main character is a young teenager who's Catholic. It's a, it's a mystery, and she's trying to solve a mystery while struggling with the demands of her faith. And so when we even looked at traditional Christian publishing, there were almost no Catholic-flavored novels, young adult novels, out there in the traditional Christian publishers. And the specific Catholic publishers, most of those were nonfiction books. And that's where they focused their efforts because that's honestly where they make all their money. And their fiction books weren't available anywhere anyway. I mean, they were available as on Amazon as much as anything I published. I mean, having it through one of those publishers didn't get me in Barnes & Noble because their books weren't there. They weren't even available, you know, in a family Christian bookstore. You'd look them up, they weren't there. So the, there was no penetration you were, we were going to get from any of those publishers either. We had to decide, well, then I guess we'll self-publish. Because we're going to self-publish and we had more than just a single novel plan, we decided to create our own publishing company called Sunlight Press because it allows us to, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to have your own company. There's tax ramifications, there's liability protection and so forth. So since we were in this for the long haul, that we definitely wanted to not just publish personally, but publish through our own publishing company. 
Now, if you're interested in self-publishing, there's a ton of information out there that I'd like to share, kind of where I've started. As I mentioned in the last podcast, whenever I decide to endeavor in something, I kind of immerse myself. I have to learn everything about it. So my first thing was websites and books and podcasts. We mentioned before, and he's still not sponsoring us, um, Michael Hyatt's (laughs) book, Platform. We raved about that so much in the last podcast that we had to clarify that he wasn't paying us. But it's a really good book. It told us about how not only to create a product to the best of its ability, but also how to present and promote your idea in a way that could hopefully rise above all the other distractions and noise and competition that's out there. That was a really good starting point for us. There's tremendous podcasts out there for self-publishers as well, because what you're getting with self-publishing is control and you're getting a greater return on your investment. For example, if you publish through Amazon, and I don't know the exact numbers now because they change as times go on, but I think it's anything between $2.99 and like, you know, $7.99 or something, whatever the number is. If your book is available for that amount of money, you get 70%, I think is the latest number, royalties back, right? So in a traditional publisher, let's say I'm going to get 15%. If I just sell one of my self-published books, and I'm talking eBooks, not paperback. If I sell one of my eBooks, it's going to take almost five of my traditional publisher's book for me to make the same amount of money. There have been some self-published authors and and traditionally published authors that have moved to self-publishing, and some of them have been incredibly successful, like millionaires, and then some. And they call themselves the outliers because they're not the norm, and they recognize that. They're very fortunate, and they're lucky, and they had a really big base of people before they started self-publishing. So they took advantage of the opportunity for control and a higher percentage of return on investment, and they've parlayed that into a very, very successful career. But one of the things that they've been doing is they've found the freedom involved in this process of self-publishing that they've been providing and generating a lot of material to kind of validate what their own experiences have been. I mean, they can talk about what they feel like it is like and what they, how successful they've been, but they wanted to quantify some of those results. And there's a website, I'll add it in the show notes, I think it's called authorearnings.com, where Hugh Howie, probably one of the most successful self-published authors out there, is put together with a guy and basically he created these spiders. Are you familiar with this term spider? Yes. All right, not the insect. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so a spider is a program that will creep through all this data and pull out all this uh, data that is available but not easy to get to. In other words, it will go like to the top 100 sellers on Amazon, and then it will go to each one of their pages, and it will identify what are those books labeled as. Are they young adult? Are they romance? Are they fiction? They'll figure out what the ranking is of that book, how that normally correlates to how much money that person has made from that amount of sales. And it does all the stuff that's available but would take you thousands of hours. And it does it automatically in the background and, and crunches these numbers. And what they basically found is that self-publishers, and their findings aren't complete, but that self-publishers make more money per sale, obviously, because the royalty percentage is higher. So they don't have to sell as many books to be far more successful financially. They may not add beyond bestseller list, but they're making more money than people who are traditionally published. And they have a lot more creative control. The downside of self-publishing is also the upside, which is the freedom. So If you want a good book cover, well, then you better either make it or pay someone to do it. All the steps that are involved in traditional publishing, you can outsource. You can find really good editors and really good book designers and really good people that will put together your ebook and people that will format your paperback for CreateSpace, the the on-demand partner with Amazon. 
So you can pay for all those things. You control it, and then you get the majority of the money back. So when we started this whole Gabby Wells process, we decided that we were going to create our own book covers because we have a very nice camera and figured, why not? And that was pretty much the thought process behind it. <laughs> well, I've also had a lot of experience with Photoshop and things like that. So. so we decided that we were going to create our own book covers. And one of the processes for that was going through different bookstores and searching online for book covers for young adult novels. And one of the things that we learned is that despite the rules that the internet told us were very important when it came to book covers, like not showing people's faces or things along those lines, we also learned that they were all lies because we went in the bookstores and there was just a variety. It really depended on what the story was, whether it was a mystery, whether it was a romance, whether it was a period piece, anything like that, you know, it really kind of varied what the actual cover was going to look like. So when we approached our own covers, we had this really good understanding of Gabby and her character and her journey and the theme of the book and the mood of the book and all that other stuff. And because you've had such a very long and interesting history with filmmaking, you also knew how to represent that visually. So what we did is we got a green screen and we had a model come and take a few photos for us and we just kind of put it all together from there. So. And when you're looking at that, if, if I had any worry that these book covers weren't good enough, I would trash them and go another route. I mean, I, I've done this long enough and I knew specifically what we were trying to do. There's some things in other novels that I want to write in the future that I know I will not even attempt to create the book covers because there's a mood and stuff that I, I'm not capable of creating. But for these, I, I kind of knew exactly what we wanted to do. And so I was able to create that. And when you're doing that, you have to look at, you know, is it going to look good in their hand? Is it going to look good on a, on a computer screen or a phone as a thumbnail or as a, a one-inch picture or whatever? And you have to be able to look like you not only that you can read the title and everything and, and understand what the book is clearly in any of those formats but it also has to look good enough in comparison to the other novels that you're in the market with if you're a young adult mystery thriller as ours are then they have to look good enough to fit in that space because when you're looking at one book it'll say well these are similar books in that marketplace you may be interested in well you don't want to look like well that looks like crap you know <laughs> you don't want that so if you're at all not sure there are plenty of independent book designers and other companies that will do it for you. Just tell them what you can afford and they'll drum up what they think they can do for you. And uh, so there's always a way to do it. And seeking outside help if you don't know what you're doing is definitely the right decision to make because through our whole process, we learned a lot of different lessons. Like, for example, our main character wears a hat. And one of the lessons that we learned is that if you don't light the model in a very specific way, it looks like the hat is photoshopped on. Regardless of the way that she stands or looks at the camera, it looks like you cut out a hat and pasted it on a photo. And it just looked absolutely terrible. So we had to go through this whole process of learning and, and lighting where and you, lighting could get, you and, could see their face well, even though they're wearing a hat, which is, <laughs> I don't know how I didn't see that coming. And then, you know, people don't wear hats, right? So it's actually difficult to find a wide variety of hats. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of hat stores. You could just go try different styles on. You can get stuff online, but who knows their hat size anymore? I mean, it was just much more difficult than we thought it would be. And hats are surprisingly expensive. Yeah, they're Like insane. doing this research, one was like, it was on sale for $120. And, 
And I just remember looking at that and thinking the exact same thing I always think when I read fashion magazines, because there are so many articles where people are like, look at this deal for the average housewife. And I'm just like, who do you think we are? Like, where do you think this money is coming from? It was a really interesting process to be like on sale originally $600. So, you know, when you also have budget constraints, as you typically do when you're self-publishing, that was another thing to consider as well is, well, what, what do we actually have access to? What are our genuine resources? because we're not going to drop $600 on a hat. Well, especially um, because they're, Well, especially because they're not well they can't they are multi-use by by purpose, but like no one wears hats, right? So you're <laughs> you're you're wearing a hat and then you get it for the shoot and then you're like, well, now what do we do? No one's going to wear this hat normally in public every day. So it's it's just a really it was something we should have seen coming. So that's the interesting thing too as well is you have to consider that when you're making purchases is not just what are you going to use it for now, but what are you going to use it for later? Yeah. And like I said, if we had any doubts that what we were creating wasn't good enough, we would trash them and start over. But uh, we're confident with the covers. I'll just go through some other resources that I think you should all take a listen to or read or what have you. And again, we're not being paid by any of these people, but they've just, it's been so helpful. There's just so much great free information or cheap information out there. There's a couple of podcasts I'd like to mention that if you're interested in self-publishing, I suggest you listen to. There's the, they're very similar names, some of them. One is the Self-Publishing Podcast, and the other one is the... Um, the Rocking Self-Publishing Podcast. That's my English accent. Hosted by a wonderful British man named Simon, and he has a lot of great people come on. The Self-Publishing Podcast is by three authors who've created a couple of... Uh, companies and they've approached their self-publishing in a very aggressive way and they have a lot of interesting information they have a, a good book i would suggest called write publish repeat which explains their approach to self-publishing and some of the important things that they talk about that again listen to their podcast read their books is they talk about things called funnels and funnels are the thing that like anything else it, it's it's a big entry point that gets you to a focused end point and so what they've done is they've capitalized on the binge nature of entertainment today where you everyone wants to sit down and watch a whole season of Breaking Bad or the whole series or what have you. And so what they've done is instead of writing full novels, they've written a series of what they call episodes of a season of books. They always give the first book away for free as the funnel, right? There's no risk there. You read the book for free. And then if you're interested, you're going to want to read the second through the sixth book. And when they track their read-through rates of the people who, what is the, the percentage of people who got the free book who read the second book and the percentage of the people who bought the second book who read and so on. And what they found in, in other resources that have all done the same thing, they're, they're all using this funnel approach, is that the free books will get a lot of downloads, but like anything free, if I, I there's a lot of free books I have in my Kindle I haven't read yet. Why? Because they're free. And I'm going to read the books that I paid for first. So people don't read free books right away oftentimes. And when they do, there's about a 15 to 17% read-through rate of the people who get a free book will actually invest and purchase in the, the next book. There's a lot of different strategies and techniques and stuff that they talk about there. So there's tons of resources if you're interested in self-publishing. That's the route we're going to create our novels. And the last thing I'll share about that at this point, because we're learning this process as we go. And as we learn more things, we'll certainly pass them along to you. But one of the great things about self-publishing in the current landscape that the traditional publishers struggle with is that you can adjust your pricing. It's your product. And every price 
point has a different audience. You're not reaching the same audience if you change the book. So let's say you have a book and you start off with the book being on sale for $3.99. Okay, that's a different audience. And then you go, all right, well, then I'm going to sell it for $0.99 for three weeks. Well, that's going to attract different people, not the same people that would spend $3.99. It's not like you're diminishing or subtracting from your overall audience. You're actually going towards different audience segments that will, these people will take a chance on a 99 cent book. They would never buy a 399 book from an unknown author kind of thing. I could make that first novel for free so that they buy the second one and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of freedom that self publishers have to kind of find what works for them in maximizing their income potential. It's very easy with the eBooks and the Kindle to go in and change your, and authors do this all the time. They change their description until they find the one that makes the most sales. So there's a lot of freedom and control and things that you can try. The hard part in self-publishing, obviously, is who's going to buy your book and how are you going to get them there. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in our next podcast. But obviously, there's a lot of work, as we've talked about in these last two podcasts, about writing a book and then creating it and deciding whether and how you're going to publish that book. Um, The next step, obviously, is to figure out how we're going to market the book. And um, we'll, again, talk about some of our strategies going into that next time. So thank you guys for joining us today. We're really excited to publish our first book, Gabby Wells, Water and Blood. Hopefully it'll be released soon and we hope you guys enjoy it. But until then, happy writing and good luck. We'll see you guys next time.